Good morning, Rockaway Congregation in Diaspora. You may not have thought much about it, but today, November 1, is All Saints Day, observed in the worldwide church, an opportunity to remember all saints and martyrs, known and unknown, throughout Christian history. This day of remembering began with the so-called big saint, Saint Francis, among others. As the church expanded beyond Catholicism, saints have come to be understood as all baptized believers in every age, past, present, future. The Protestant reformers said a saint was any true believer, and the church has a twofold duty to preserve the faith we have inherited and offer it to future generations. So today we celebrate all who have gifted us to further the kingdom of God. This congregation, therefore, is part of that cloud of witnesses. I confer upon you, friends at Rockway Mennonite, the title of saint. You, my friends, are saints. But who are those white-robed saints mentioned in Revelation 7, that great multitude arrayed in splendor, worshiping the Lamb with palm branches? I grew up, like many of you, thinking about the book of Revelation as some kind of crystal ball about the future. Revelation is the one true apocalyptic document in the New Testament canon. But it's been controversial for the church from Christian antiquity to the present. It almost failed to make it into the sacred library. So I really appreciated at a Mennonite Church Canada assembly in Waterloo a few years ago, the scholarly insights of Lauren Johns, now a retired professor of New Testament at AMBS in Elkhart, Indiana. Revelation, said Lauren Johns, is like an impressionist painting. You have to stand back and look from some distance to get perspective. I saw the holy city, a gargantuan frame, John of Patmos was writing to the seven cities of Asia, now Western Turkey, in about 95 common era, towards the end of the reign of Emperor Domitian, as a firestorm of persecution was about to burst on the Christians of Asia. Revelation is about that devastating persecution, about the ultimate triumph of good over evil. Empire was a voracious beast a demonic power. Literally all roads led to Rome. Domitian demanded to be called Lord and God. Some graffiti has been found in Ephesus that says, Rome, queen over all, your power will never end. No early Christian who said Jesus is Lord could ever confess Caesar is Lord. Empire was seductive. People wanted to be part of the empire. So the writings of Revelation strengthened those early Christians who were living in the midst of all that glittering idolatry. This apocalyptic literature shows God's perspective on human affairs. Human language can hardly capture what John is seeing in his vision. What language could capture the consummation of history? Only when we understand this original context of Revelation can we apply it to our time. We're in rather a similar situation. Do we worship the North American empire? We bow the knee to consumer uh, things, electronic devices, computers. Lauren Johns calls Revelation resistance literature. We Christian communities, he says, are the physical outpost 
of the reign of God. We resist empire by worshiping, singing, proclaiming, reorienting ourselves regularly. Revelation calls us to follow Jesus the Lamb. That, he said, is much more central to the book than speculating about the future. What a vision of the consummation of the church. In the meantime, we saints struggle. Lutheran pastor, writer, and holy disturber, Nadia Boltz Weber writes in her book, Accidental Saints. It's been my experience that what makes us the saints of God is not our ability to be saintly, but rather God's ability to work through us. The title saint is conferred, never earned. All the saints I've known, she says, have been accidental ones, people who inadvertently stumbled into redemption when they were looking for something else, people who maybe have a drinking problem and manage to get sober and help others to do the same. Ronald Rollheiser writes in his book, Forgotten Among the Lilies, if the Catholicism in which I was raised had a fault, and it surely did, it was that it did not allow for mistakes. It demanded that you get it right the first time, period. No need for a second chance. If you made a mistake, you lived with it. A serious mistake was permanent stigmatization, a mark that you wore like Cain. I've seen that mark. People who are divorcees, ex-priests, the ex-religious, people who've had abortions, married people who've had affairs, people who've had children outside of their marriages, parents who made serious mistakes raising their children. We need a theology of brokenness, he writes. We need a theology that teaches us that even though we can't unscramble that egg, God's grace lets us live happily and with renewed innocence, far beyond any egg we may have scrambled. We need a theology that teaches us God doesn't offer only one chance. And so I offer theology for broken saints on this All Saints Day. Sometimes we're not even good at being the church. Our halos are pretty dinged up. Our text in 1 John 3 reminds us to consider the love that God has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Anyone God sends to our door is our brother and our sister. No exceptions. Theology for broken saints. May it be so. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.